So you look at your IRA and you go, oh, I have $100,000 in there. I don't want to pay those taxes. But you will be paying those taxes in ever so many ways, whether you like it or not. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals. And people come on to help us do that because, you know, if we knew how to do it, we'd already be wealthy, right? So today, I'm very excited to introduce to you, we have from Phoenix, Arizona, which is much warmer than it is here in Boston, Massachusetts. (laughs) We have Lynette Zhang. She's the Chief Market Analyst at ITM Trading, which is a precious metals company that for 25 plus years has made its mission to educate and empower individuals, boy, this is going to be hard to say, to mitigate long-term financial risk. That sounds like a good idea. Um, She has a team of expert researchers and analysts, and they create custom portfolio strategies for clients that are historically proven to protect your wealth and assets through any economic downturn or currency collapse. Thank you so much for being with us today. (laughs) It is my pleasure, Christine. Thank you for having me. So, you know, I've heard a lot about this idea, you know, just from your intro, that the idea that there could be a problem with our currency, that the US dollar might not be forever. <laughs> that right. And that's not unheard of, right? I mean, obviously the oh. Euro, whoever thought that you wouldn't be able to use French francs and, and things like that. So it's not a completely crazy idea that a country could get rid of or revalue or do something else with its currency. So what how does gold well, first of all, do you want to talk a little bit about that whole thing? Like what, how do you get interested in this and what originally light, lit you up about the concept of, of investing in precious metals? Well, to be really honest with you, this has been something that I have been moving for towards since I was like 10 years old and I'm 68. So there is really no doubt in my mind that I have been groomed for this moment in time. Uh, So I, I, so always, but who knew I had an uncle who was a major antique dealer and he was my favorite uncle. And so he really taught me how assets move from undervaluation to fair valuation, to overvaluation, to fair valuation under, and it's a constant loop, a figure eight loop. Um, My father was in real estate. He was a real estate developer. So I got into banking at a very young age. But one thing that I didn't even realize how it had stuck with me, uh, this was 19, I was born in 1954. So 1964, my parents and I are at my uncle's house. And he says, come here, I wanna show you something. And he took us into a back bedroom where there were two tall floor safes. And he opened the doors of those safes and he said, if anything should happen to me, Aunt Bertie will be well taken care of for the rest of her life. So naturally, I turned to look, and I'm telling you, you could not fit even one more gold coin in there because he'd go into fine estates and he would buy things, and then they would think, oh, this gold. So he would buy them. But what I want you to really and everybody really to understand is in 1964, it was illegal to hold more than five ounces of gold 
in any form other than the way that he was holding it, the pre-1933 gold coins. Wow. Did I understand that at 10 years old? Absolutely not. But one day when I was writing and I said, if you were alive like I was in 1971, and then I realized the importance and the significance of him showing us that safe. Now, I could not tell you exactly how many ounces of gold there were in that. But what I can tell you now with hindsight and having worked in the industry for so long, that there was a minimum of three monster boxes in each safe, which means a monster box holds 500 ounces. So there had to have been at least 3,000 ounces in those two safes. Wow. Right. Now, back then, gold was fixed at 40, no, $35, 65. That would have been $35 an ounce. So that's probably somewhere in the vicinity of what he paid for them. Maybe he paid a little more, maybe he paid a little less, but that's, that's pretty much it. So, you know, because of my father's involvement in real estate, I started working in banking when I was 15, studied business finance, stayed in banking until I was a single mother, needed to make more money than I could make you know, in the banks, I was doing mortgage origination, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't pay very well. So I became a stockbroker at Shearson. And in that capacity, um, and I started in 1986. So I was there in 1987. But in that capacity, I started working in bonds, which is about debt and interest rates and that kind of thing, because I didn't understand how to read the language of the markets. I didn't understand it at all. And I didn't want to burn anybody. So I figured if it's a government bond, they can tax you to get the money to pay you, right? They can also print it, but they can do that. So I figured that I couldn't really burn anybody while I was learning how to to understand how the markets moved. Yeah. But during that time frame, I was so fortunate to stumble across what's called non-dollar denominated bonds. And all those are are bonds that are issued in different currencies. And for some reason, I was particularly drawn to New Zealand bonds and then I did some Australian and some Canadian, but mostly New Zealand. And because That brings in a different element. That brings in a currency conversion element. I needed to understand that piece. And back in the 80s, you could talk to the head of any trading desk. That was just a phone call. It was not a big deal. And uh, there was a, a quite brilliant woman that was the head of currency trading at Shearson. And so I spent about a year and a half and and she taught me. She taught me about currencies. She didn't teach me about currency life cycles, but every night I'd go home and I'd study, study, study. And that's the way I started my morning was talking to her, making sure that I was understanding what I was reading. And it was like, she would give me homework every day. But what I discovered in all of those studies, shocker, well, currencies have a life cycle. I can guarantee you, that I am at a different point at my life cycle at 68 than my granddaughter is at seven, (laughs) right? And there are patterns. Like she looks much different at seven than I do at 68, right? 
So, so these are recognizable kinds of patterns that you see. There hasn't just been like a random incidence of currencies going away. There have been over 4,800 times that this has happened historically. Wow. Right. Why don't we know this? Right. Right. I mean, the, the data is not, the data is there, but who would think to know? So the strategy that you talked about earlier is based upon those repeatable patterns. It's not rocket science, but I kind of feel like you know, I can't guarantee what's going to happen tomorrow. But if something historically has happened well over 4,800 times and we're doing the same thing and we have that same pattern, or most likely outcome is we're going to get the same results. So that actually makes it very easy to understand how to get into position. And that's really where gold comes in. Because gold is good money, and it's a it it is a savings based money. And you know, here's something that has really been bothering me. Originally, right, they set up money to have four functions: a medium of exchange, a a tool of barter, a let's see, a medium of exchange, which is the same as a tool of barter. I'm sorry, it's a little early. <laughs> Forgive me on this one, uh, but it's a tool of measure, a tool of barter, a short-term store of value to make sure that you get fairly paid for your labor, and a long-term store of value so that no matter when you use that money, you are always being paid fairly for your labor, okay? And since it takes labor to pull this out of the ground, refine it, put it into coin form or any other form. There's lots of forms for gold, right? That was a very fair exchange, labor for labor. Yeah. But for the governments, it created a problem because if they wanted to tax you when you were on a gold standard, you knew about it and you might not agree. <laughs> so in 1913, they installed the Federal Reserve, which is neither, it's not a federal agent. It is a private or profit entity. We need to be clear on that. And it does not hold reserves, but it does hold the power to print. Okay. <laughs> and every time it does that, the value of the money already out there goes okay. down. Okay. It's the purchasing power value. It doesn't matter how many of these things you have. It matters what you can convert them into. So recently I was preparing a piece for a, uh, for a seminar that I was doing. I was a keynote speaker at it. And, you know, I went back in because I was doing it. I think everybody needs to understand what money really is and its right. primary function because otherwise. And what I discovered is that they had eliminated the fourth function as a long-term store of value. Now, everybody knows that logically, because if you put a dollar in the bank and then you leave it there for 20 years, it buys a whole lot less. Yeah. So by design, when they converted us from a gold standard to a what's called a fiat money standard and the definition of fiat is a uh, by decree 
So it is a government-based currency. And what backs our currency? The full faith and credit, right? So as long as you trust them, you'll keep loaning them money. It's just that. So that's what in this current system, this money is based on. They knew that people marry the legal money of the state. So it isn't that our dollar has not changed between 1913, when it still had a level of gold backing till 1971. Okay. It's that, that they keep the name the same and they ratchet things up slowly. I mean, these are repeatable patterns so that the public gets sucked into the new system without realizing it. I mean, I was there in 1971. If I had a $20 bill in July and a $20 bill in September, even if this was a brand new $20 bill, well, they look pretty much the same. So in all these different iterations, they keep things looking as normal as possible so that people are fooled. They don't think that anything has changed when in reality, everything does indeed change. So now they're taking us into central bank digital currencies. Okay. Now let me explain the difference between these really simply. If you had this in your possession when the currency was gold backed and you didn't like what the government was doing, you simply went into the bank with one of these. This is not real, but one of the, neither is the real, real one. <laughs> okay. But you'd walk into the bank with this and you'd walk out with that. And so that created restrictions around how much debt they could grow and what they could do. So the people had the power of the purse because that's the way you vote. You vote with your purse, right? right? So when they took that away from us in 33, they didn't do it between 13 and 33. But what they did change was how much gold backed the currency because it used to be prior to 1913, it was a 20th of an ounce that backed a dollar. 20th of an ounce of gold backed a dollar. They were equivalent and a silver dollar too. Okay, all three things were equivalent. In 1930, well, I'm sorry, 1913, when they installed the Federal Reserve, they allowed them to print $2.4 for every dollar's worth of gold they held in deep storage. Ever heard of the Roaring Twenties? <laughs> right? That was Making also- money, Printing money. <laughs> well, exactly. And the Roaring Twenties were a result of all of that inflated money. But when they first did it right out of the chute, the currency lost 50% of its value. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have any charts, but for your listeners, uh, if you go to the FRED, F-R-E-D, which this is the Federal Reserve Education Department, okay? And in the search bar in there, you put in purchasing power of the consumer dollar. You will see a graph from the Federal Reserve that shows that 50% runoff and where we are today, which is officially roughly three cents out of the original dollars worth of purchasing power. So the reality is, is that the system that they put in place, and there are two key reasons and where they're moving us to is even scarier, okay? The system that they put in place was a way for the government to tax you without you realizing it, right? That's that 
almost invisible inflation tax, if they can keep it around 2%, nobody really notices. They don't change. That's what financial stability is. You don't change financial decisions right. based, based upon on. inflation. Right. Not that the price stays stable, but that you you stay stable. And then, um, so they, they did that. And the, for corporations, they wanted to be able to pay you less. But if you were used to getting 10 bucks an hour, you weren't going to accept five. However, if they could make that 10 bucks spend like five, then they really were buying you cheaper. And you didn't even realize that it. it's called nominal confusion, right? That's not my term. That's their term, but it's absolutely accurate. And anybody that has had, you had a $20 bill 10 years, heck, you had a $20 bill a year ago, you got a $20 bill today, buys a whole lot less. Yeah. So that's the problem for the governments is that rapid inflation because the public notices. If they can keep it small enough, you don't notice, you don't ask for any more, you don't have a problem, but that's also what enabled wealth and income inequality. Now, you had the power of the gold right, to go in and take out the gold from the system when they took that away from us. Well, these kinds of things, dollar, dollar bills, they actually preserve your principal, not your purchasing power. That's already all gone. Right. Okay. Which is one of the reasons why I say this is the end of the currency's life cycle. But if you had this, it preserves a principal. So when a government makes or a central bank makes a policy, it typically takes about on average 18 months to work through the system before they know that they get the results that they want. Here's where they're moving us to. A digital currency that is programmable. So they get to not only see every single penny that comes in and goes out, right? where it's going to, where it's coming from. They can also dictate where you can spend it, how long it even is viable, which is what happens during hyperinflation, right? The government just issues new currencies, but then puts a timestamp on it. But it'll be much easier when you push a button than printing paper. So they can have full control if all the wealth you hold remains in the system and we go into a CBDC. That's not okay with me because it should be pretty clear to everybody that they choose winners and losers already, right? Right. And it has been my contention and not a doubt. I was getting ready to retire before 2008 happened. And when 2008 happened, I knew the system died at that point and was just put on life support. So we're we're coming into a very critical year. 2023 is going to be interesting to say the least. So Lynette, what can we do about it? Well, you can protect yourself and preserve your wealth. And the way that you do that is by gold because gold is real good money. Central banks in the through the third quarter, we don't have the fourth quarter numbers yet, but through the third quarter in 2022 bought more gold than they ever have since they started tracking it. So they know that this is the end of the currency's life cycle and you can do what the central banks do for themselves because who knows more about money. Now, it, there are two things that we typically need to do 
we need to sustain our current standard of living to as good a degree as we can. And we have to, we have the opportunity to get into position so that as this wealth transfer takes place, you're on the receiving end instead of the losing end. <laughs> and you do that. I'm a very strong believer as a technician that you want to always hold the lion's share of your wealth in an undervalued or even fairly valued asset that is in a long-term positive trend and the least amount of your wealth in an overvalued asset or instrument that's in a long-term negative trend. And even if you're going to hold those other assets, you need to have a truly diversified portfolio. Okay. The Wall Street wants you to think, well, if you have stocks and you have bonds, you have a diversified portfolio, but they're all do dollar denominated. Mm -hmm. And as we've all seen this year, both of them dropped pretty dramatically right. because it's not real. Okay. And the gains in real estate, not real, right? That was all manipulated. And they talked about it back in 2008 to reflate the markets. And hey, how do they control inflation? Interest rates, right? So yep. if they want to stimulate and have higher inflation, they drop interest rates down and that inspires people to borrow and yep. spend. Yep. They want to slow it down. Well, then they raise interest rates up. Fewer people borrow and spend. The problem is, is with all the new money that they've been printing at zero bound, basically, you know, at no interest, there has been a tremendous amount of leverage and debt that has built up in the system far, far greater than it was in 2008. And everything, every, every physical asset has been turned into a Wall Street product now. So even you know, even thinking about, I mean, my father was a developer. When somebody bought a house from him, they lived in it for, you know, forever. This house where I live here in Phoenix, unique to the area because it was the first neighborhood. It was built in 1929. I'm the fifth owner of this house, right? <laughs> so this is a long-term kind of proposition, typically. But what did they do? They turned it into a flip. They turned it into a trade. They turned it into, you know, and it feels good on the way up, but it's pretty painful on the way down. So what you can do is offset it with gold because gold is physical. It's out of this market. It's invisible. It's decentralized. It's globally accepted. And here's a kicker for you. It has the broadest base of functionality because it has the broadest base of buyer. It is used in every single sector of the global economy. That's what you can do. Plus food, water, energy, security, barterability, uh, wealth preservation, community, shelter, medications, these are the things that we have to look at what our lifestyle is and then make some changes. So, I mean, I think 
everybody can go back to March and April of 2020 when the grocery store shelves were bare. They might look fuller now, but if you take those couple things off on, on the shelf, there's nothing behind them, right? So um, this is what you can do to sustain a standard, a reasonable standard of living is get all those bases covered. But gold is the foundation because whatever other wealth you have, especially if you have a fixed rate debt, like a mortgage, you have property taxes, you have things like that, you can prepare for that so that that does not become a burden to you. So how, I'm just thinking about the preparation thing. I mean, I don't want to drag us to, I guess I don't want to get into the whole like, you know, zombie apocalypse thing. How much toilet paper can we really stockpile? And <laughs> But how long are we thinking that we'd have to survive without, you know, before we can kind of adjust to whatever's coming? I don't know. Well, it, you know, it kind of, it kind of depends on the position that, that you are in. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting to me because I think most people have the same reaction that you just had called zombie apocalypse. <laughs> now, what I'm going to encourage everybody out there to do is go on your laptop after you've listened to this and go ahead and put in zombies in there because Japan actually set that stage with low interest rates since the 90s. And so what there are are lots and lots of zombie corporations. Now, there is a specific name for that. So if you put in zombie corporation, you're going to see all sorts of stuff. And that is a huge threat to the markets. A zombie corporation, by definition, has not had the ability to pay interest, forget principal, that's way over there, but to pay the interest on their debts for at least three years. Now you'd say, well, how can they survive? Because the, not only are they not paying all their interest, but the interest is compounding, right? So it makes the debt problem look worse. Right. Well, at 0% interest, you can take on a whole lot more debts, but the banks did not want to write those debts off. So they continued to loan them money to pay the interest and keep them alive. Wow. How much? I'm telling you, when you read this stuff, it's there. I don't have access to any privileged information. It's just that with my training and my background, I understand the language. And I, I think of myself like a little ferret. So I dig and dig and dig. And if I read a word that I don't understand or come across a concept that I don't understand, I dig and dig and dig and read and read and read until I actually do. Yeah. And not from some airy fairy, you know, conspiracy theory. I am not a conspiracy theorist. My nickname is Data Gal. So if you look at my work, I give you the links to not all my research because then I give you a book every week. <laughs> but to all of the research that makes it onto the PowerPoints so that you can do your own due diligence. I don't really want anybody to take my word for it. I want them to put in a little bit of sweat equity, do your homework so that you can actually see what's happening and formulate your own opinion because there's this normalcy bias. Well, you know, a zombie apocalypse. Well, yeah, if a whole bunch of corporations, zombie corporations, 
in a rising interest rate environment can no longer roll over those loans, we got a problem. Yeah. A big one. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> and then you're kind of blowing my mind here. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, you know, you live long enough, you can look back on your life and go, oh, I get it now. We may not get it when we're in the thick of it, but with enough distance. Yeah. And that's why I said I have been groomed for this moment in time, because it, 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 if I hadn't, if I hadn't become a single mother and I hadn't needed to make more money to support my daughters and I hadn't happened to go into becoming a stockbroker in the 80s as we were transitioning to a global economy. I lived through Black Monday in 1987. I know what that looks like. I mean, if I hadn't done all of those things and stumbled across non-dollar denominated bonds, I mean, I would not know any of this either. I really wouldn't. Yeah. And you think that we're really getting to the end this this year? Or does it feel like in the next 10 years, something, I mean, oh, how, no. how specific are you feeling about that date? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty specific because <laughs> I'm feeling very specific, actually. Um, you know, last year I knew it was going to be a pivotal year. So he here's what's supposed to be happening in 2023 that makes me lose sleep at night and the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Okay. So in the 80s, they created an interest rate benchmark, they meaning the central bankers, okay? And it was called LIBOR, London Interbank Offer Rate. Yeah. Now, this was a stated rate. So in other words, a small group of bankers would get together every morning and go, well, gee, if I were going to borrow money from you overnight, this is how much I would be willing to pay. And if I were going to loan you money overnight, this is how much I would ask you to pay. Yeah. And so that was the London Interbank offer rate, the LIBOR. Like sort of a gentleman's agreement. <laughs> totally. Totally a gentleman's agreement, right? Yeah. Well, shockingly, during the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, and after shortly after that, it was discovered that Wall Street had been manipulating that, that benchmark. What's oh that? my gosh. <laughs> I know what a shocker. They seem like such nice guys. <laughs> totally. Except if you read their uh, emails and they call clients Muppets. Thank you, <laughs> Goldman Sachs. Okay. Not such nice guys. Yeah. But here's the thing about the LIBOR. Every single contract that has an interest rate attached to it had LIBOR embedded in that contract. Well, once it leaked that that was a manipulated rate, then a number of global central banks, including the Federal Reserve, worked on creating a new benchmark that is market-driven. Okay, kind of good idea, except that if you read the fine print, they eliminate a whole bunch of bonds from there. So how market-driven is it really? It's not. Okay, it's a narrow market driven. Now, here's the problem. So you say, well, you know, big deal. What's the problem with that? The interest 
even with them making uh, special formulas for adjustments and all of this fancy stuff, right? The um, interest on the, and in this country, it's called SOFR, S-O-F-R. The interest on the SOFR is different than the interest on the LIBOR. And they have not been able to figure out how to adjust it to make it match. It's off by a number of pennies. You say, so big deal. It's just a number of pennies. Except that every single contract out there that still has LIBOR in it has to be restructured to have SOFR in it. I mean, it's really complicated. However, they tested this conversion in, it was originally supposed to happen in 2021. So in March of 2020, uh, I'm sorry, October of 2020, they ran an 80 trillion, that's with a T, dollar test on this conversion and everything went dead silent. Okay. So I'm going like, uh, what's going on? And about two, three weeks after that, they changed the conversion requirement date from uh, 2021 to, to June 30th of 2023. 2023. Yep. <laughs> so we know that that was a big fat fail. We also know that Wall Street would not adopt it because of that difference in uh, interest rate in that yield. And what that does is it revalues every single contract. So if a bank or a corporation has this level of valuation and it's based on these contracts, which it is, that's going to shift. And it may only be pennies, but the most recent uh, data that I've seen says that there is still over 610 trillion notional value contracts that have to shift. That's tectonic. So, and do you hear anything about it? Nothing. Nope. No, you do not. Tell me why this is dead silent. Because it's not going to work, in my opinion. <laughs> That's my opinion. That's also a lot of Wall Street's opinion. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I never give dates because I can tell you what's most likely to happen. I typically can't tell you what'll happen at 8:32 on Tuesday morning, right? right? <laughs> Timing is always the biggest challenge. Yeah. But uh, but if they give me a date, I can give you a date. Can they postpone it again? A lot of people ask that. Well, I guess they can do anything they want, except that as of because they could not get Wall Street to adopt this because of that change, right? In valuation. Um, well, what they actually did was they forced every new contract as of January 1st of 2022 to be written only with SOFR in there. So, I mean, can they postpone it? I suppose they can, but what is more likely? Uh, last year, I knew it was going to be a pivotal year, and we saw all the pivots and all the changes with the war. That's something that always happens is a major war. Um, so we could, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, but we could be headed into World War III. And if you look at all of the nuclear issues that are coming up, not just in Kiev or, or in Ukraine, 
but also in North and South Korea. You look at the conflict that the U.S. is having since Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan. So the the stressors between China and the U.S., uh, you know, I mean, what's going on in the Middle East? I, I mean, come on, take your pick. Could mm -hmm. we be headed to World War III? Well, that covers up. That's Vietnam War covered up uh, what was happening, right? It justifies the inflation. I mean, we were having high inflation before Russia invaded Ukraine, but now it's all because Russia invaded Ukraine. Right. No, it's all because of this. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but there are opportunities, right? So we have formulas. This is what I, this is what I know, right? At some point, everything, everything, everything goes to its true fundamental value. The fundamental value. Well, the fundamental value is based upon the most important function of whatever that asset is, right? So for gold, it has lots of functions, but the but in my opinion, the single most important function is to hold your purchasing power and your wealth intact. That's what it's done for 6,000 years. That is its function. That's why central banks have loaded up on gold because they want to stay in control and power as we go into this next iteration of the currency. So we so we know that what they do, gold, you could say to me, well, actually gold ended up positive. So did silver for 2022 versus a negative on everything else. But that's Wall Street's version. Right. Wall Street is not going to tell you the true value of anything because it's really about trading. It's about them making money. It's about right. them using you as Muppets, right? So how do you know what the true fundamental value of any asset is? We have to go back historically. There's a way to know what the true fundamental value is of any asset for gold, particularly since this is considered and classified as good money. This is debt-based money. To make it super simple, super simple, you just go to the global debt clock and it, that's not 100% accurate, but it's close enough for these purposes. You go to the global, global debt clock, and since money is created from debt, that can give you a pretty reasonable um, idea of how much money has been created. Now, with gold or anything physical, there's a finite amount of it. And the uh, Department of the Interior runs a report annually on all of the above ground gold as well as the below ground gold. And we hit peak gold a long time ago. And you just take all of the gold that exists in any form and you, or you take all the debt and you divide it by all of the gold. And then that will give you somewhere near the fundamental value, which is the last time I looked somewhere north of $15,000. So with this trading at 1830, it's a bargain, right? It is severely undervalued. And so you could say to me, well, Lynette, if it's worth 15,000 and it's trading at 1800, what are you talking about? Well, you need to understand that a rising gold price is an indication of a failing currency. 
And once you really understand that this currency is failing, you make different choices. You pull your money out of their system. You pull your wealth out of your of their system. And then it's not easy for them to grab, right? It's in the system. The market goes down. Who are you going to call and complain to? Hooty, right. hooty, rooty, manooty. Nothing you can do, right? right. So you've got to understand that that gold gets suppressed. So when is it going to go to its fundamental value would be the next question. Well, this whole fiat money system is a con game and con games require confidence. So if you listen to any of the talking heads, Bloomberg, CNBC, whatever, Wall Street Journal, right? They're always talking about confidence, consumer confidence, Inflation, where do people, inflation expectations are, is confidence anchored, right? Inflation expectations, are those anchored, right? So we get to a point in here, if inflation continues to run hot, where people no longer trust that the Federal Reserve is under, is in control. Yeah. And when that confidence is lost, that's when we're going to enter a period of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry hyperinflation. Okay. Now, when they need to get that confidence back, because what that means is things are going to get real local for a while. People are going to lose faith in this. They're not going to want to use it. They'll use it if they have to, to pay your property taxes and things like that. But they don't hold on to this because they, at that point, it's very obvious how rapidly it's losing its purchasing power value. Okay. And then what governments and central banks do once all that confidence is lost is they revalue this with this. Now, I cannot tell you how much that's going to be because nobody's going to know until they say, well, this is how we're going to do this. Yeah. But what I can tell you is like in Venezuela, when they did their overnight revaluation, it went up gold spot in terms of their currency, went up over 3,500 times. They have now done four overnight revaluations starting, I think the first one was in 2000 and I want to say, I want to say 16, something like that. And they had the best performing stock market of the world. Hey, Turkey just had the best performing stock market of last year, but they're also in hyperinflation. So people will try and preserve their purchasing power, but you're just going from the frying pan into the fire if you keep your wealth in the fiat assets. Yeah. So that's what you can do. There are formulas that help us know very conservatively, well, how many ounces of gold do I need to pay off my mortgage? How many ounces of gold do I need to be able to continue to pay my property taxes? Mm -hmm. How many ounces of gold do I need to protect my 401k, right? A 403b, things that you really can't get out of easily. What do I need to be properly diversified so that when this goes away, this brings me back my same level of wealth. Yeah. So if you are a person who's over, who's who's above 62 and a half and they're able to be able to take out their 
or 59 and a half, and they're able to be able to take out their IRAs, for example, would you recommend that someone cash that out and start buying physical gold coins with that? Well, I think everybody needs to do what they're comfortable with doing, but I can tell you that I did. Okay. Once we hit a certain point in the trend, I absolutely had a SEP IRA. I cashed it out. I paid my taxes because I understand, you know, IRAs came into being in the seventies. I mean, we can talk about any of these investment products because I've been doing this for so long. Yeah. Um, and that was really about shifting the risk, right? But when they create these things, when they change the money market laws, when they did all of this, if you read their deliberations, one thing they always say is how high do we have to make these fees to discourage people from taking it out? So you look at your IRA and you go, oh, I have $100,000 in there. I don't want to pay those taxes. But you will be paying those taxes in ever so many ways, whether you like it or not, right? So you can determine, and I think people should uh, become their biggest advocate, their own biggest advocate, become their own central banker to protect what matters to them the most. Um, so yes, that's exactly what I did. I have a very nice, substantial retirement portfolio but it ain't in anything that anybody can see. And yeah. as we can see in the world, for those of us that still value their privacy or a certain level of autonomy, you're not going to do it if you hold all your wealth in the system. I'm sorry, yeah. but you're just not. Yeah. And on that's always ever since they could track everybody digitally and everything. Yeah, I mean, you can't do privacy is an illusion, right? There's no nothing that we're talking about that Google doesn't know about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think it's becoming more and more critically important, though, though I will say that what I've been seeing recently in China has given me a little bit of hope uh, because they were definitely a full surveillance. They still are a full surveillance economy with, you know, really like dictator control over their population. And yet when they, you know, I mean, so much of this is a test. How far can we push people before they start to fight back, right? Mm -hmm. So by keeping them all locked down and then all the issues that they had in their real estate market, I mean, it was, it was really shocking to me and encouraging to me to see how those people started to fight back. And then, of course, the rules changed and now it's open and blah, blah, blah. But it shows you the impact of communities coming together. Right. Right. So communities, arguably one of the most important parts of my mantra. Absolutely. Lynette, I, you know, I have to sleep on this. I have to like get my brain around the whole thing and, and I mean, our time, it unfortunately, is up. I could, you know, ask you questions for hours. But, you know, is there anything in closing that you want to make sure that we sort of, that everybody really understands? Like maybe give us like a couple of action items that we should like really go out and do, whether it be research or buying stuff or, you know, what what do you think? Okay. What would you advise well, people to do in the next two weeks, let's say, to just to kind of like put their minds at ease and allow them to have some level of readiness? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, number one, uh, write down the mantra. So if you have to listen to this a couple times, because these are all the things that we need to make sure that we can sustain a reasonable standard of living. So food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, shelter, and, and your medications. So I think you should write those down and look at where you stand in each one of those areas uh, and see how vulnerable you are. I think that you should call our consultants to be honest with you with your goals in mind, right? What do I need to accomplish here? Whether it's protecting my 401k, whether it's making sure that I can pay off that mortgage, pay those property, whatever it is. And because when we create a strategy that's based upon all of those repeatable patterns, but they're tweaked for who you are, what your circumstances and what your goals are. So you'd be executing basically the same strategy that I'm executing for myself, mm -hmm. but tweaked for you based upon what's important to you. So, you know, those would be like the, the two key things. You want to really see where you really are. Don't assume, don't assume anything because time is growing really short. And there are ways to cover all of that. We have a Beyond Gold and Silver channel that deals with all of the rest of that mantra stuff to help people wherever they are. If this is a new thing for you, okay, this is where we're starting. If you're advanced at it, this is where we're starting um, and and then definitely make that appointment with one of our consultants. We've all been together for a really long time and and start to build your portfolio out with physical that you take possession of. GLD is not gold. It's a trust. It's not gold. Physical gold in your possession, physical silver, which is more about barterability for me. But, you know, have that conversation because I think, that's critical and start your education and go to our YouTube channel where I talk about all of these things in detail and in depth, just like one, one topic at a time, because this was a lot. Yeah. It's a lot, <laughs> a lot to take. Especially if it's your first exposure. <laughs> <laughs> Lynette, I really appreciate all this. And of course, all the, all the links that uh, Lynette has talked about are going to be in the show notes. So definitely start your research, start to drill down, get some more information, educate yourself because, you know, follow the money, right? That's <laughs> exactly. If central bankers are buying more gold than they ever have, right. why aren't you? Why aren't you? I exactly. am. Who knows more about what's going to happen than they do? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Lynette, thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. Thank you, listener, for listening. I think Lynette's right. You need to like take this in in smaller chunks. Make sure you listen to it again. You know, maybe listen to it 10 minutes at a time and just sort of make sure you're absorbing it, taking it all in, research anything you don't understand or that is new to you that you're not clear about. And then, right, forearmed, forewarned is forearmed. Exactly. And then tune in next week and see what else we have to share with you. Have a great week.